Well, this is week 10 of online worship. That means it's week 10 of being sheltered in place. Have you learned anything in these weeks? We don't know how much longer this is going to go on. It's something we all guess about, something we all pray about, of course. But have you learned anything? I've learned several things. One of those is patience. I do hope that tomorrow I will be a little more presentable. It's been a long, long time since I've had Casey Epperson cut my hair, and I've got that appointment tomorrow, so wish me luck. I hope to have good luck and to be looking a little more presentable in the days to come. But we're all involved in this pandemic together. We've been sharing Bible verses each and every day. I've been encouraging you to write out God's Word in these days, to just read the passage of the day and then write it out by hand, remembering that there was a time when that's the only way people understood and found and found God's, God's Word given to them in written, handwritten form. So we've been doing that. We've been using a theme for the week, and the week we've just finished, our readings have been on the theme of powerful prayers. Prayers listed all the way through the Scripture, from the first book of Genesis to the last book of Revelation. There are going to be prayers written out, and there's absolutely everything right about praying those prayers that have been written by others, that have been experienced by others. So I hope this week's readings have encouraged you because as you write out, read, study, and meditate upon those prayers, perhaps you've been praying them in your own life as well. I have. The one we want to cover this morning is a prayer that Jesus prayed. He's, he's described as praying more than once in the Gospels. But the prayer we want to look at this morning in Luke chapter 22 is an emotional prayer. It is the prayer that he prayed on the eve of his trial, his crucifixion. We just celebrated Easter just a few weeks ago. But we're going to come back this morning and look at the events that happened on that Thursday evening of Holy Week. It's when Jesus met in the upper room with his disciples and shared the bread and the cup with them as they shared the Passover, but he changed its meaning into bread that symbolized his broken body and the wine that symbolized his blood. What would happen when he was nailed to that cross? It's that Thursday evening when he left the upper room that he ventures across town, across the city streets of Jerusalem, out the eastern gate to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in Gethsemane, you remember it says that Jesus took three of the disciples, three of the remaining 11. Judas has already made his choice and has left the group. But three of them, Peter, James, and John, if I remember right, followed Jesus a little farther into the garden. And then Jesus from there went a little farther by himself and began to pray. I want to just walk through this prayer the circumstances of this prayer. And maybe there'll be some pandemic prayers that we can be praying based upon this prayer that Jesus gave us. So let's just pick up and read God's word, make the comments, and then ask God to bless to bless the sharing of his word today. 
It's in Luke twenty-two thirty-nine where we pick up the narrative where it says, And Jesus came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus said, pray. But when you break down this verse grammatically in the language of the New Testament, the Greek language, you'll find that this word prayer or to pray is a present imperative is what it's called. Imperative means it's not a a suggestion. It's not a question. It's a command. The imperative means that this is, there's no negotiating this. Jesus said, I command you to pray. But when I say it's a present verb, it means Jesus is not saying pray just once. He's not just saying, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, let's pray about this right now and then be done with it. But praying in the present Tim, uh, in the present idea is to be praying continually, praying all the time. Pray, Jesus said, I command you. And then he adds this prayer request. Why does he want his disciples to pray? To pray all the time? Why is it a command? He says, I don't want you to fall into temptation. Scholars debate over what that means. I'm not sure I know everything that it means, but it has something to do with the idea that Jesus knew that he, Jesus, was going to be facing a trial. He was going to be humiliated. He was going to be tortured. He was going to be nailed to a cross. He would be crucified. And his disciples could very well have denied him during these days. They could have turned. They could have fled the scene, which we know they did temporarily. Jesus is just reminding them that they need to be continually in prayer so that the the evil will not overtake them. One person put it this way. Matter of fact, there's a book title. I've got my library. I refer to it from time to time. The title of the book is Too Busy Not to Pray. I like that phrase. Because you know, most of the time, when we're super busy, we're trying to do the right thing, we're trying to do God's will as we see it, and we get so busy and so weighed down by circumstances and things that are happening to us that we think, well, I'll have to put prayer to the side. And what Jesus is saying is, no, prayer needs to be the main thing. Prayer needs to be what you're doing because you're too busy, yes, but you're too busy not to pray. Marcy and I go to a gym several days a week. We're in this idea, this mode of trying to stay as healthy as we can. We want to be able to enjoy life and enjoy uh, grandkids and family. Um, that's a good thing. And so we're trying to, to stay up with our health. One thing I detest about working out is what our trainer calls leg day. So we'll spend one day working on the chest or the, you know, the, uh, this, this part of your body, your biceps. We'll spend time working on the back. But when it comes to leg day, I dread it every time because it takes me forever to get over that workout. We have to do squats. We have to do squats with weights. We have to run. We have to do all kinds of stretching. And that's the point. Because 
What he tells me is, Stephen, the reason you're hurting so bad is because you're not stretching. And the more active you are, the more you've got to stretch. Well, in my mind, stretching is a waste of time. Stretching is just doing nothing when I could be out walking 18 holes at the golf course or I could be out jogging that mile that I'm trying to get at a certain time. And I think in my own mind, I do this every time we face this day, the week, the the leg day, is that I've always got so much going on. The last thing I'm going to give time for is stretching. Too busy not to pray, the scripture says. It's the same. If you find yourself weighed down because of this pandemic, this disease that is literally spreading throughout the entire world, it's changed the way, it's changed our entire way of life. It's something that can drag you down. And the more you let things like that drag you down, the answer is to pray more. But what do we do? We do what the disciples did. We get so worn out from it all. We fall asleep. Well, Jesus said, pray. Pray at all times. The narrative continues. It says, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he began to pray. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Okay, let's go back and look at a couple of things here. He says in his prayer, Father, this cup, this cup, remove it if it's your will. If there's any other way, remove this cup from me. Now, you look at other passages of Scripture and you'll find that the cup always symbolizes Jesus' trial and his death, the cross, his suffering. He referred to it as drinking from a cup. A cup of wrath, a cup of sin, the sins of the entire world, yours and mine as well. And so Jesus acknowledges and says in his prayer, if it's possible, Lord, remove this cup. But you notice Jesus says, but not my will, but your will be done. Folks, that's the secret. There was nothing wrong with Jesus asking God If there was another way to accomplish salvation, to let it happen. Nothing about that is wrong. It doesn't mean Jesus was refusing to do God's will. It doesn't mean that he was afraid of doing God's will. It doesn't mean that he was refusing to do God's will. But he is showing us the fact that he's human. And if there was any other way, Father, remove this cup. But if not, I drink it freely. You see, what we, what we forget sometimes is that, sure, there have been martyrs throughout history. There have been people to die for worthy causes. There have been people who have died in the cause of, of, of Christ throughout the centuries. And it will continue to be that way. But what sets Jesus apart from everyone else who has suffered for righteousness is that Jesus knew that he was going to face the complete separation of his father. He was going to have to experience that pulling away where God would have to turn his back upon his only begotten son. And we cannot fathom what that means. What that experience does to a person. Only Jesus has experienced that. So it's it's no surprise 
that he prays that the cup, if possible, be removed. But he was willing to do what must be done. See, Jesus was laser-focused on the issue. And most of the time, if we're praying, the issue before us is very clear. Most times, it is right in front of us. The question is, are we prepared to face it? And are we prepared to pray as Jesus did? Father, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 43. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Luke is the only writer of the Gospels. All the Gospels contain this event, this prayer, this prayer time in the Garden of Gethsemane on the evening of Christ's trial. But Luke is the only one that mentions an angel. An angel that came to strengthen Jesus. I love that. Don't you? One person put it this way. Every life has its Gethsemane. And every Gethsemane has its angel. Listen to that again. Every one of us, every life It's going to have its Gethsemane. It's going to have its times when we're praying and praying, agonizing over God's will. Every life has its Gethsemane, and every life, every Gethsemane has its angel. You see, God was with Jesus every step of the way, and so he is with us every step of the way. It doesn't matter how you compare the inconvenience and the suffering that's gone on all around us during these weeks of pandemic. It doesn't matter how you compare this experience to maybe something else traumatic you've experienced in life, be it illness, loss of a loved one, loss of something important to you, loss of income, whatever it might be. Every Gethsemane has its angel, has its Presence of God has the presence of God that is strengthening us no matter what comes our way. And see, that's what we need to focus on. It's not God remove this and I can't rest until you remove this. But God, I pray knowing that in the midst of this or that, whatever it is in your life, I know for certain that you're with me, that your presence is there not to take the trial away, But your presence is there to give me the strength to endure it. Verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Once again, Luke is the only one that mentions this sweating of blood. What is it? Well, the way it's rendered here, his sweat became like drops of blood. You might say, well, it's just a figure of speech. And indeed, maybe it is. But there is a medical condition. I hope I pronounce it right. Hematidrosis. Hematidrosis is when the sweat glands near the surface of the skin rupture and Sweat and blood literally come out of the pores of the human body. It happens. And it happens in times of great stress. 
in times when agony is overwhelming. That's how important this issue was to Jesus. Remember what was the issue? Drinking of the cup that contained the sins of the world. Enduring the hostility, enduring the torture, knowing that just ahead, a few hours from this point in Gethsemane, Jesus would face humiliation and pain and suffering unlike no other. And so as he prayed, he prayed agonizing. And the Bible says he prayed fervently. You remember, Bible mentions prayer umpteen times from one end to the other. But it mentions fervent prayer less than a handful of times. One of them is here. Another one is in James five sixteen, where it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. And then Paul mentions a friend of his named Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. And he says, Epaphras prays for you very fervently. See, there, there's, some, there's some level of intensity that ratchets itself up in certain times of life. And for Jesus, it was this night in the garden. It was looking ahead to the cross. For you and me, what is it? Is it some decision that's before you? Is it a choice that, you know, some choices are very easy to make in life. I don't have to get up every morning and pray fervently that I won't go rob a bank or I won't murder someone. I, I don't have to pray fervently about those issues of life. Those are easy prayers to pray. I know good and well just because of how God has blessed my life, what he expects of me. So those kinds of decisions are easy. But there are some decisions we make in life that are nothing short of gut-wrenching. Life and death, right and wrong, yes. When you have a decision before you that is like that, it drives you to your knees in fervent prayer. It should. If it took Jesus to his knees, how can we expect anything less? Last two verses. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Sleeping from sorrow. Interesting. You know, that's what happens to, to me, probably to many others as well. I mean to do well. I mean to pray fervently. I, I want to pray constantly. Prayer is talking to God about anything, anywhere, anytime. I believe that with all my heart. But sometimes the weight is so heavy that it just drains a person. Does me. And I know good and well that there are times in my life where I've just collapsed with the exhaustion of trying to pray about a decision in life. That's what happened to the disciples. Sometimes we get the idea that they were just rolling along, thinking nothing was going to happen. They knew something was up. They knew that blackness lay ahead. They knew that evil was surrounding them. They could tell it in the tone of Jesus' voice. 
but it got the best of them. And they fell asleep. Luke doesn't tell us this, but the other gospels say they fell asleep three times. Jesus went in deeper into the garden and prayed, came back looking for uh, support, perhaps, looking for fellowship, looking for strength from his friends, from his disciples, only to find them not sleeping because they're in fairyland, but sleeping because they're just simply drained and worn out. And so Jesus repeats what he did at the first of this passage. What did he say? Pray that what? You may not enter into temptation. And here he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. What's going on here? Well, I think the key is the following phrase. We want the life, but we do not want the lifestyle. Hear me again. When it comes to following Jesus, we want the life. We want the blessings that God gives us in Christ. We want to follow Jesus. We want to see people brought to salvation. We want to see lives changed. We want to see worship elevated where it needs to be. It's part of everyday life. We want the life. But when it comes to the lifestyle, we put on the brakes. I simply mean we're not willing to pay the price. We're not willing to discipline ourselves. We're not willing to pray. To pray in such a way that it's okay when it becomes hard work. It's okay when it becomes so consuming that we want to just simply lay back and sleep from exhaustion. Oh yeah, we want the life. But are we willing to take on the lifestyle of Jesus? That's an entirely different question. I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, climbed a rock wall. It's an obstacle course. Some places have them where there's this, you know, artificial wall with all these little hand handhelds or foot places where you can put your hands and feet. Some of them are bigger than others, but... The object is to climb the wall, get to the top, and do it in such an amount of time. Rock climbing, okay. When you do that, you're always tied to someone on the ground. And that way, if you fall, then the person that you're tied to can keep you from falling all the way to the ground and doing great damage to your body. Sounds like a good idea. But if you take that to real mountain climbing, you've got four or five people that are trying to make an ascent up a mountain, and they're all tied to one another, correct? And the reason for that is, so if you're heading up that mountain and your foot slips, you'll begin to fall, but you've got the weight, got the strength, the four or five other people, comrades, your partners, who are going to maintain their hold. But it can also work the other way, can't it? It can be that when one person falls, the other four or five, saving. But sometimes it can be when one person falls, everyone falls as well. Think about that. Think about that in terms of a pandemic. The choices that you're making right now, the choices that you're making for yourself, the choices that you're making for those that are your responsibility. 
Envision it being like being tied together. You and your family, perhaps, or you, me, and our church. Everything that it stands for. Our congregation that we're seeking to connect with during these times. And we're missing one another. And we want to gather with one another. Think about the decisions that you and I are making every day. As it relates to all being tied together. Have we slipped and fallen during these weeks? Certainly we have. There have been those that have stayed the course with us. That have rescued us. Who have pulled us to safety. Or have we found simply finding ourselves being the kind that we're making decisions. We're doing things. And we're slipping. And we're taking others with us in that fall. That's what Jesus is praying for. That's what he's asking the disciples to pray for. Friends, I want you to pray. I want you to pray all the time. It's not a wish. It's a command. I want you to pray fervently. I want you to pray that you're not going to slip during these days and take people down with you. That's what his prayer is. And that prayer is as real to pray today as it was in a garden of Gethsemane centuries ago. In short, during a pandemic like this, we must pray as Jesus prayed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for giving us strength in the midst of trial. And Father, your word tells us to give thanks in everything, so... I guess we might as well say it. We thank you for these days that we find ourselves in. Doesn't mean that we like them. Doesn't mean that we want them to be longer than they already have been. But it means we simply acknowledge that you're in control. You're, you have us in your hands. And for that we're grateful. So Father, teach us to pray. Teach us to do more than what we think we ought to do when we pray. Because we all face those times that push us to the brink. All face those times that test our faith. And Father, we're grateful that in the midst of those times, it's not that you take them away from us. It's not that you rescue us from them. Sometimes you do. But what you always do is you always give us the strength. You always are there with us. And for that we get thanks. For it's in the powerful name of Jesus who prayed one night in the garden. In his name we pray. Amen.